Hi guys, welcome back to Infinite Possibilities, the podcast where we explore the lives of amazing people, their choices, challenges, and opportunities. And today I have a very special guest, Victor Callan. Hello, uh, how are you? Good. Hi Victor, thanks so much for being here. Great, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so Victor, he was one of my professors in leadership at UQ. And then we want to take a step back, see how he got to where he is. But uh, first, what's your one minute introduction about what you do? So hi, hi everyone, I'm Victor, Victor Callan. Um, I'm a professor at the University of Queensland in the business school um, and uh, I've had a variety of roles here at the University of Queensland um, including being a young lecturer, senior lecturer, associate professor in, in those days in the School of Psychology and then sometime back I moved across to the business school and where I've become professor, I've been dean and head of school, dean of research, director of research and now I've returned to the normal bread and butter role of being a professor who teaches into the MBA program and also we met, Karen and I met within the um, leadership and strategy practicum course last year, semester two, and uh, she was one of my wonderful students in, <laughs> in that class. It was a real fun class. Yeah, yeah. Good, good group. <laughs> good memories. Yeah, so Victor has been a lot in academia, so we want to see Victor, like, what kind of child were you like growing up? Uh, I was a typical Australian boy um, in those days, growing up in the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, one of three children. I was the mm. I was the eldest boy. I've got a brother who's a year younger and a sister who's two years younger. Um, oh. And so it was a you know a typical, a very much um, outdoory type of living in those days where kids went did anything they would like oh. hop on a bike and go for a walk and climb mountains and go go down on the beach and we just did anything we liked and uh, you felt safe and secure and but especially on bikes we would just bike everywhere and we we had a, a local mountain nearby that we go up and climb and discover caves and um, yeah and, and the beach was a big part of my life as well still it was going down the beach and swimming and surfing and and being part of that. Um, so yeah, a childhood at um, primary school and um, secondary school down in a place called Wollongong, which is south of Sydney, about an hour south of Sydney, which is well known as a coal mining industrial BHP, used to be there as well, still is. Um, but also more than that, it's right on the coast and you've got beautiful beaches and fishing and surfing and beautiful sunshine. And it's a, it was a nice place to grow, grow up. Yeah, that's cool. And so, what kind of hobbies did you have while growing up? Uh, football was a big part of Ooh, my life, cool. and you know, I'm very pleased about the outcome the other night with the rugby league with, <laughs> with, with Queensland and New South Wales. So I played rugby league uh, from the age of about five, from what I remember, like a very, very little little boy. Yeah. And that's that. There was not a, the range of sports that you have these days, like AFL and, and soccer and so on but played rugby league from about the age of five onwards and then all through primary school. Then when I went to secondary school, high school, uh, we moved to rugby union, which is a similar but different game, but I won't go into the differences yeah, between yeah. the two. And I played uh, rugby union and rugby league, um, both really. Sometimes I'd play one game in the morning, rugby league and rugby union in the afternoon for the school. So that was very much the winter sports and I played representative football for my wow. school and for the Illawarra region and for the state, so I was quite yeah. quite a reasonable player. Yeah. Um, much bigger man than I am now. <laughs> young men can be quite large. And uh, and the other part was summer was very much surfing and and, um, oh. and having surfboards and, and enjoying being a surfer. 
So that was that was life. Very much out. I very much loved the outdoors. Oh. Like, yeah, still do. That's cool. And were you an avid reader when you were young? Not really. No. Surprise. No. No. <laughs> there have been some studies recently saying that men don't like to read, and compared to women, women love to read and they love to read. Um, uh, fiction. I, I, I yeah, read I a little it. and it's mostly non-fiction, maybe historical. Mm. I've just finished a book on um, uh, uh, on Australian explorers mostly. So yeah. um, Captain Cook, because it's been his anniversary of Cook discovering, well, didn't discover Australia, but mm -hmm. Cook, Australia had already been discovered long before Cook came. But yeah. um, Cook and then Joseph Banks, uh, you know the Banks here, the wattle? Yeah, yeah. And Banks came with Cook and he was really the botanist. <gasps> Yeah. And really it's about um, very rich men who had time on their hands and really they became citizen scientists. They actually, just, last night I was listening to something about um, Egypt and uh, pharaohs and yeah. Tutankhamun Ooh, and really it. the same thing there it was really very wealthy British men who had yeah. money, time on their hands and went off and really discovered ancient treasures like Tutankhamun and really Banks was another example. Joseph Banks hopped, hopped, on, a, hopped on a boat, funded it mostly, yeah. funded most of Captain Cook's trip and came out and discovered all those wonderful plants and animals that we that are a big part of Australia today. Yeah, that's pretty cool and I think it makes sense because like once your like lower pyramid of needs are satisfied you have the time to, yeah, just for fun, just yeah, for creativity. But it's interesting too in that uh, I say I don't read but I read every day. So <laughs> So yeah, and so I'm reading like today I've read lots of documents and you know yeah. I, I write so I write books and I've written articles and, yeah. and, 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 and I guess I'm reading and writing all the time but I remember I had a very close friend still a very close friend of mine and we'd be sitting on planes together mm. traveling interstate or overseas to do consultancy work for companies and I typically be marking a PhD student's <laughs> work and I'd be sighing and moaning and groaning and scribbling all over it and yeah. And you get very, very much into the document when you really read that yeah. type of work. It's quite emotionally and intellectually quite exhausting and engaging. It's wonderful to do. But um, I'd sigh and moan and groan and make comments. And I still do when I read a document. So I say I don't read, but it's because I think you get so exhausted reading that type of material, which can be very dry and very technical, yeah. uh, that the fun of reading in a way has been taken away. I'll read yeah. a newspaper. But it's interesting, there's a lesson learned there about probably keeping a balance, that you still have fun fun things to read. And I yeah. don't think I've done that very well. I, I try to do it with the, you know, the, yeah. the non-fiction work, the historical work, but, but I, I'm looking for grammatical errors. I'm looking for typos. Mm. I'm looking for the, the way the text rolls. And, and really, even newspaper articles will do the same thing. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I think we all end up in careers sometimes where certain things you have to trade off. Yeah. And But I'd encourage everyone to keep their fun of reading, keep reading, because you learn so much, it's just wonderful. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. It's the same with people who like produce movies, right? Now when they sit down and enjoy like a film with like um, their family, all they can see mm. is just like, how did they set up the yeah, lighting? Yeah, so. and many actors never see a completed film. They yeah. say they, they complete their part, yeah. they've done their role, they've done their week or two of filming, and then they, they go off set. Yeah. And many of them never, never want to sit down and watch the completed piece of work. Yeah. 
because they've done their role, because it becomes, I don't know, they because they don't often like seeing themselves act. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe this is cringe. not completely true, but that's what they say. They say yeah, I don't really like watching myself back. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think it's the same, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. But as a child, you weren't particularly into reading, so it wasn't like it spoiled it for oh, you. <laughs> no, that was very much outdoor living and, um, you know, but also I, I did well at school. I did well yeah. at primary school and high school and... and um, I was very studious and you, mm -hmm. you learn to get into that pattern of locking, unfortunately, locking yourself away and yeah. looking out the window at what you'd probably rather be doing. Yeah. But, you know, you had an assignment due or a project due. And, and we had a very studious house. And oh, okay. My sister and my brother, my sister in particular, studied very hard. Oh. And she became, a, a, she did medicine in the end and oh, still, still a practitioner. My brother became a high school teacher, but he was always, you know, worse than I was. He always <laughs> wanted to get outside. He yeah. Was, not, not extremely studious, but he did very well. He became a high school teacher. So we had, a, I guess, a studious house, and yeah. uh, that makes all the difference. Uh, and mum and dad cared about study as well. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it's the parents' influence. Well, that. yeah, especially, you know, um, if your parents have had not the opportunities that you've had as uh, well. Yeah, they put all their hopes on their kids They do, sometimes. and they still I, they do that with all of us. You know, I sit yeah. here and I've got two grown-up daughters now, but you still worry about them and you're still yeah. concerned about them, and, and mums and dads are like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. And so when, you know, career paths came up in the household, what yeah. was the discussion like? Uh, it, it was interesting. Um, it, I think parents in those days, and again, we're talking about the 50s and 60s, I think it still applies, but maybe less so now, were fairly conservative in what they expected their children to do. You know, be a safe, safe bet, you know, being a yeah. teacher was a safe bet or yeah. getting a job in the public sector. And I know I do a lot of work in Indonesia still where, it's very prestigious to get a job in the public sector, you know. Mm, and, locked and in for life. Locked then. in for life. <laughs> you've got a regular salary. There's promotion guaranteed through a certain particular part, and they recognise qualifications, especially educational qualifications, yeah, yeah. as against being the entrepreneur and, 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 and yeah, starting your own zero business. Or nothing. So these days it's different, but in those days it was conservative career choices. And for me, I guess I went to university thinking I was going to be a school teacher. Because I, I liked I liked teaching and I liked instruction, and I really started off with the ambition of being a school teacher. But that changed once I got to uni. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, okay. So, so, so what what kind of changed? Because you uh, ended up studying a bachelor like of I arts. I did a bachelor psychology. of arts honors in psychology. So, yeah. again, a lesson learned there, and, and again, that's why the Americans structure their degrees differently from what we do. They often have that very general first year. Mm. Yeah. So I did. I was lucky. I did a Bachelor of Arts, and 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 still applies today. A Bachelor of Arts, maybe a bit like a Bachelor of Business degree, does still apply. Yeah. Is it very much a general degree where you really explore a whole range of subjects? So I did a Bachelor of Arts in first year, and I did English and history, and geography and and psychology. And I knew mm. nothing about psychology, <laughs> but I, I did psychology. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Ooh. So what happened was that after the first year. Um, I got quite excited about psychology, enjoyed the lecturers and enjoyed the content that we're reading in psychology. And then in those days, and it still applies, this was the University of New South Wales, you had to start, you had to pick honours from your second year. And in a BA, that's unusual. Normally you do honours just in fourth year. And I know you've done in your BABS degree. Yeah. You really, in a way, were doing honours structured within the four years. Because most degrees, as we all know, are like three years. So I started doing psychology and then psychology honours from year two, year three, and then year four, I did the honours degree. Mm. But I kept the history and geography going. So I got a double major in geography and history. Oh, 
again, probably being fairly conservative. I had something to fall back on if yeah. I didn't have a job with, in yeah, psychology. I got a job in being a history or geography teacher. Yeah. And then did honours in psychology and did very well mm. and got first-class honours. Wow, very, very And impressive. then that opened the door to um, scholarships at a number of universities, um, at least three or four I could have gone to. Wow. And I went to uh, the Australian National University in Canberra. Yeah. And it had many advantages. It was a three-year three year PhD. I got yeah. into the PhD program. Oh, that's quite a short PhD, no? Yeah, it was, it was three years in those days, was what you would expect <laughs> to do. And now it's four years. Most people expect a PhD to be done in four years. Yeah. I know my PhD students. And even university scholarships are usually four years these yeah. days. So over the undergraduate degree, doing psychology from second year, third year, fourth year, I got a passion for research, you know, mm. reading and that technical writing required. Had a lot of good teachers, and I think teachers make a big difference. 100%. If you've got really exciting teachers and really a bit weird teachers, they were kind yeah, of quirky, crazy memorable. and quirky and memorable. Yeah, funny, yeah. doing funny things, you know, jumping off platforms and oh, making jokes and making class cool. a lot of fun. Yeah, I swear I didn't get much at UQ. Didn't you get much? <laughs> We're not very Victor, funny. Victor, you, you didn't jump off any platform, uh, No, I didn't. No? No. Hopefully we laughed a little bit. But yeah. Probably, you know, yeah. It was interesting doing it in hybrid mode because for those who don't, we had technology with a Zoom yeah. and we had, we had face-to-face. Yeah. And, but classes were good. People, I think people were pretty good. We had about, I think, about 70% there and the rest online. So in those days, I had quirky teachers and they kind of got me interested in that and then got the honours degree. Went to ANU and it had attractions which I didn't really appreciate in going there in that it's a, it's very much a postgraduate university. ANU mm. is, as you know, it's in the top 50 in the world. Yeah. It's highly ranked for postgraduate study. And if you walk on the campus at UQ and most Australian universities, let me exaggerate, 80% of students mm. are undergraduate, 20% are postgraduate. Mm. You go to yeah. ANU, 80% are postgraduate and 20% are undergraduate. It's got a very mm. small undergraduate group but a very large international and national audience of people doing master's degrees and PhDs. And then you've got a lot of research schools, yeah. which are full-time researchers, which in those days, most Australian universities didn't have, but ANU got special funding mm. from the government so they could kind of do that. And so you had this really wonderful environment, which was quite inspiring with, with really world-class researchers and research centres. And it, it, it was a place where even as a young man or young woman, you could actually walk across a knock on the door of oh. another discipline. Like I talked yeah. a lot to people in sociology and demography, let alone psychology. Uh, and you sort of had all sorts of interesting people to talk to and different seminars to go to. So, and I think, I, I don't know I knew now, but I think it was very much like that at that time. Because it wasn't a big place. It might have had 20,000 students, yeah. of which 15,000 were postgrads. So it was, a good place. it was a good choice. It was a good place to go to. And in the end, it had all the other advantages of being in the world's top 50, being very prestigious. Yeah. And when you got a PhD from ANU, as, and again, I've had it now for a long time, yeah. it's never been a disadvantage. Yeah. So you, if you go to the right universities, and again, maybe this is something about careers, you know, you can debate this, but I think if you go to certain universities, it's a tag. Yeah, 100%. Which carries you through. And again, I think UQ is one of those in the top 50, yeah. UNSW, Sydney, and again, I could yeah. name others. And they, I think that really helps. And I know I've had nephews that have gone to other universities and got yeah. their degrees and then in the end had to go to get master's degrees at yeah. a, 
a, a, like a top 50, top 100 university. Yeah, and then suddenly to, to, they're more To have the brand and they're more attractive for jobs. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, so I had, a, I had a good time with the PhD. In those days, uh, for those who, who do PhDs today, it's a lot better organised. You've got mm. two supervisors. You've got like a backup supervisor. Yeah. You have a primary and a secondary supervisor. It's more regimented about extra courses. There's more deadlines around, we call them milestones at the end of year one, year two, year three. So it's like people are more likely watching over you and helping mm. you work through the program and, and you actually have additional skills and knowledge you pick up along the way through courses. Mm. In those days, it was like you enroll on day one and three years later, you submit your PhD. Mm. And so it didn't have that and he only had one supervisor. So. In my cohort of ten, <laughs> only eight of only two of us finished the PhD out of that group of ten, Ooh. and the others went off and never finished, or had problems with their supervisor, or couldn't get the data they needed. Oh, and pretty tragic. It was pretty tragic. Yeah, some yeah. really really nice people just didn't. Fit. But they went off in other careers. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So ANU was a great place, and you know, going to a top fifty university was really wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And how was the PhD process? I have a couple of friends doing yeah. now. It's kind of well, like a hate-love relationship. Yeah, it, it still is, cyclical. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like I've got, um, I was just, I'm currently writing up some papers with one of my PhD students, Ree, Ree Jordan. Yeah, and shout Ree, out. <laughs> and Ree's an Indigenous woman, and, um, and she's got a PhD with me, and I was, I was the second supervisor, what you call the associate, with Ree. Mm. With, with Professor Terry Fitzsimmons was the first supervisor. And she had a project on mavericks. And people are ma mavericks are people that challenge the way organisations operate. You know, yeah. um, they're often entrepreneurs, they're often innovators, but yeah. they take risks. And we're trying to understand who are mavericks and why do they do what they do. Um, so, look, she did her PhD like others, and it's, it was very well structured. Milestone yeah. one, milestone two, milestone three. Milestone one is really at the end of first year, you describe, well, what are you going to do and why? Literature review, research questions. You put forward a plan about what the studies will be. And then really in studies, years two, years three, you're collecting the data, whether it be qualitative or quantitative. In your fields, more accounting and finance, people yeah. often use secondary databases and oh, clean them up and play yeah. with them and have got weird, wonderful ideas they want to do. <laughs> often very technical PhDs in, in those fields, yeah. while in my fields it's more conceptually driven and then yeah. we have the technical tools as well. And then uh, really then by the time you're ready to submit, you've got a very good draft which has been workshopped. You've had additional courses mm. to help you develop the idea. And it's there's a, like a risk management. So by the time we have students at the end of three and a half years or four years ready to submit, we know that's going to, through our internal processes, through all the additional courses we've done with them and the additional supports and I guess the mentoring, we've got a 99% chance that thesis will, will be okay. Um. While in the old days, <laughs> you know, you had one supervisor, you might, I met with my supervisor three or four times over three years. He was never really around. He didn't really care. Yeah. And, um, and that sort of behaviour would never happen now. So really, PhD is a wonderful option. Um, it's still a great career choice. It opens a lot of doors. And the risks are, are, are minimal these days. If you're really well motivated, and you've got some good ideas and you work really hard, then the system actually does support you a yeah. lot more now in, in, in being successful in completing it. The, the big question with a PhD is, does it really make a big difference for you? You know, like in some fields, I don't think it, 
opens many doors, you know. I think once you've got it, you've got it. You've got yeah. like the degree. You've yeah. got the PhD. You're now doctor. Yeah, must love and it. That's Dr. love. Collins. It's wonderful. It's, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, nice. it's nice to get it. And but then no, and no one can take that away from you. But yeah. you know, does that really make a big difference for you if you're in accounting or finance or law or, or yeah, in actually getting in there? And then it's debatable. You know, I think in, in definitely to be an academic, you need the PhD because you yeah. won't become a professor in the longer term. And not many people will actually become professor unless you've got the PhD and you do the research. But, you know, if you're working in, in, in accounting or law or economics or whatever, there are examples. You see it. You know, people have got a PhD in economics. They're on the news all the time yeah. and they're working for consulting companies. But um, and the public sector does appreciate PhDs. But we're having... As at all universities in Australia, and I think nationwide, internationally, I think as well, are having challenges attracting people to to a PhD program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't make a difference. And will it really help me with my career and my and my and, and my um, I guess income as well? Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. international students still love the PhD. They want to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. When they go back home, it's yeah, like... It's a bit, nice it, it opens many doors, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm kind of curious because you said back in the old days, um, at, no, at a... Days. Oh, no, no, no. Old, old days. Old days. Yeah, <laughs> days. I know what you mean. My bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah you said that um, in your cohort, like two out of ten finished. And mm. just wondering for now, like, what's, what's like, since you guys have like a very well kind of regimented, mm. kind of structured, is the... Is the like completion rate a lot higher? It's much higher. I, I couldn't give you the exact figure, but yeah. it's it's really all universities now have got a duty of care that you know enrol oh, in a. It. It's a big investment too. It it's is. like, like I help with an international program for Indonesian students yeah. who, who come to Australia to do a PhD, and the investment there is I, I don't know, let me guess it's sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year in fees. Mm. Then you've got living allowances, so you're really putting half a million to a million dollars into. Yeah into growing a PhD student. So, uh, and then the UQ offers scholarships, Australian Government, Australian Postgraduate Awards, yeah. APA Awards, our scholarship programs. So you're looking at you know, half a million to a million dollars investment. So you want to make sure people finish. So the numbers are high, you know, I, yeah. I, at least 80% would be finishing. Uh, and where it drags on is something happens where, you know, other things in life, because often it's, they're not, PhD students usually are not Young, young, you know, they're yeah. people in their 30s or 40s, yeah. often a lot in their 30s. They've got children, they've got yeah. other commitments, got work. Many of them are doing it part time. Some are coming, many will do it full time. Internationals have to do it full time. Yeah. And, and so things go wrong. Yeah. But ultimately, many of them still get there. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And what's your recommendation? Some people, they do their honours, they go into industry for like, I don't know, yeah. a couple of years and then do their PhD or do you, should you go from honours straight to PhD and like what, what are the sort of pros yeah, and cons I, of I think I think it varies. Uh, look, I'd say I've supervised, I don't know, over 40 or 50 PhDs. Yeah. I think nearly all of them, at least in the last 30 years, have been exactly what you described. They've done industry yeah, for yeah. five or 10 or 15 years. Like I'm sick of the, the last seven or eight that I've supervised. They've all been out there as working in industry as consultants or trainers or yeah. or senior managers, and then they've decided to come and do their PhD, usually full-time on a scholarship. Wow, that's and quite in a their big 30s risk. And 40s. Yeah, it's a big risk, uh, really, to have a career change. And then yeah. to, like, my two, 
My two current PhDs are exactly like that. There are people yeah. in their 30s, one's probably she's in her 40s, and um, they've made that decision to do their PhD. So, um, yeah. Why is that? Is that because now they want to work in academia or they want to bring something back to their original field? Generally? It's both, I think, sometimes. Sometimes they, they, they want to stay in their current field and they just need a PhD. They feel a PhD will give them an edge. Like yeah. one I'm thinking of right now, she wants to, I think, do the PhD. Or in fact, I asked her the other day, why are you doing this? Yeah. And she said, well, she thinks it'll give her more, more of an advantage when she does consultancy work and she applies yeah. for work. Um, and others, it's yeah, it's a change of career. Um, they get a PhD, and a number of people walking around this building did their PhD with me, and now here as lecturer, senior lecturer, associate <laughs> prof. Um, yeah. yeah, so they or uh, at other universities. So the PhD is still a pathway, mostly into academic life, but it, to me, it can also be a, a pathway, especially into consultancy work. That's quite interesting. Uh, which I think is yeah, really quite interesting. And again, I've done a lot of consultancy along the way. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Keen to explore that a bit more. But first, so just to clarify that your bachelor's was at UQ, was it? No, UNSW, University UNSW. of New South Wales. Oh, so BA Honours University of New South Wales. And then ANU for? Yeah, so I did eight, 18, 19, 20, 21. Mm -hmm. uh, did the BA Honours. And then yeah. 22, 23, 24, did yeah. the PhD. And then I was offered a job uh, here at UQ. Oh, okay. Uh, second, second round. They actually, I think, were had they, they had advertised. I applied. I got on the what what we would call these days the long short list. <laughs> you have a short short list, and they interviewed the short short list. And again, I never really understood the full story. Never did I ask, but I think they offered the job to someone from the United Kingdom. Oh. He got a little bit um, particular about. Um, salary or movement yeah. or coming or not coming and in the end turned the job down so they went back to the long short list of which yeah. I was on with three other people. Oh, and only three other people? Yeah, oh. and then they flew us in in December and uh, interviewed us and um, they offered me the job before I hopped in the taxi to go back to the airport so it was re went really, really well. Wow, right on the spot? On the spot. Wow, the spot. and why do you think... I went really well. It went well. It went well. What, I was a, I, I gave because I gave a good seminar, good yeah. job interview. They liked the liked the resume. Yeah. They liked that I'd um, I'd won a fellowship as well oh, to cool. um, the University of Hawaii. Was actually a, a, a centre there called the East West Centre. So it's funded by U.S. Congress. Still is there. It's uh, it's quite prestigious, and it's the East meets the West. Mm. And it's a cross-cultural learning institute, and my PhD thesis had been aspects of culture, yeah. and uh, and they so that having that east-west centre postdoctoral award, yeah. a PhD from ANU, UNSW, BA honours, um, work had I didn't have publications, no, I had no publications, so it's yeah. just but finishing the PhD off, it was and was a good fit for a lectureship in psychology at UQ in social and cross-cultural psychology. And that's where I started. Mm, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and just had a random question. So do you think that generally most PhD students are just introverts? Is that generally the case? I think, a lot, of, I think a lot of people who do research, yeah. whether it be, you know, are introverted-like because, you know, you're sitting in a room... Yeah, just by yourself doing your ...playing thing. with data or with ideas. Um, we had a, a meeting this morning. Um, 
I won't go into all the details, but we had a number of academics doing a workshop from nine to one today, yeah. talking about redesigning a course. And one of yeah. the young, younger ladies there, who's a um, she's a she's a postdoc or a full time PhD. Sorry, she's got a PhD, but she's a full time research fellow. Used the analogy that that she feels like she's a brain in a bottle. <laughs> Strange analogy. That's pretty hilarious. But she was going to get the idea that she. She would, I don't know, she's a bit tired. She's also having a lot of fun. Uh, really was saying, well, that's what she does. She's a brain in a bottle and she just sits in a room all day and, yeah. and, and works on these ideas. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of them are quite introverted. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you go into other organisations and like if you walk down the corridor here, it's a Friday afternoon, yeah. lots of doors are closed. Sometimes people yeah. are behind those doors. Other times they're working at home, but they, yeah. you know, they lock themselves away. Um, and uh, but if you go into the public sector, you go in the private sector, it's the same thing. A lot of people, yeah, they're still they're sort of behind types. doors or in cubicles getting their work done. Yeah, um, yeah. So in that case, like, in your opinion, like, how much do social skills matter in this sort of academia PhD oh, field? Oh, a lot. Yeah, still a lot. You've got to be a genuine human being. You've got to actually, you know, um, actually, especially with a with a PhD. Uh, you've got to learn to be a communicator and, yeah. and you're doing research and you're doing, you know, research and teaching, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm a teaching, I'm a, what I call a TNR, teaching and research professor. Yeah. And so it's always been a part of my life that I've had to, not had to, but it's been part of the, I've taught as well as done research. Although when I've been heads of school and deans and I haven't really yeah. done a lot of teaching, but even then I've done executive education yeah. with audiences in their 30s, 40s and 50s over four or five days. And that requires you know, particular skills of managing managing people and and, um, and delivering um, at the highest at the highest level. So yeah, all those interpersonal skills are critical. Yeah, yeah. and if you had even to if you're introverted. Yeah. yeah, and if you had to sort of put like a percentage breakdown in terms of like, would you say like oh, um, to be like a good professor or like PhD candidate, like eighty percent is the quality of the work, twenty percent is kind of. Is there a way? Because um, the place I'm coming from is like I had a friend, and she was like applying for PhD, and then I was like trying to like up her interview skills, and she's like, no, 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 Karen, Karen, it's like fine, it's not that valued, it's not like a business interview, and then she was saying that like how because you know she was very she had a very like in terms of like her previous um, honours project had a very like strong okay. kind of, and she's like, this work will like sort of speak for me. And then we were like debating about it, and she's like, that's why I'm in this field because uh. yeah. Yeah, no, you still like you know you, you might you might do bit to be doing research, but then you've got to communicate what you do, and yeah. okay, we communicate it through journal articles and through, yeah. but also through conference presentations. So yeah. you're in the conference presenting it in forums, through workshops, yeah. uh, and these days even more so than ever before through the media. You know, mm. um, I'm doing this with you in a way as a form yeah. of communication. <laughs> Talking per se about the actual research I do, yeah. but but um, I've just written an article for um, uh, like a, an MBA newsletter, a website that's just gone out. Thousands, thousands of people have seen yeah. that. Uh, we're currently writing on an article for the Conversation, which for mm. those who don't know is like a, a it's a, like a newspaper that publishes research, but in a plain speaking way, as though you're talking to a friend about the research you do. Oh, we're writing an article. Good. For the conversation right now, um, and we're, I'm writing a report right now on um, on COVID and the impact yeah. of COVID on 18 different industries. And again, that that report, which is quite long, it's a 150-page report, but that's going to be cut down to workshops, to 
social media to yeah. presentations. One of our team just presented last night to yeah. KPMG. Oh, very cool. To a very senior audience at KPMG of industry people about some of the work we're doing on gender equity. Yeah. So, so, yeah, a lot of members of my team, especially the younger ones, are out there doing it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Good. So it's it's just not, and KPMG, I'm sure all the consulting companies do it. They're always always out workshopping. They're at yeah, CEDA, they they are forums. They're getting people on on the stage, um, and you know, say so, okay, you might you you present, and then people come up to you later and say, well, that was wonderful. Tell me more about it. And then you yeah. build those relationships. So academics are being also encouraged just not to present at the academic forums, to present at the industry forums yeah, as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. And we do exec. I do a lot of executive education programs, and uh, the same thing there. I'm communicating in a quasi-academic way what I do, the research I do, the research that other people do, and we're applying it to their business context. Yeah. And again, that builds relationships, and not quite often people come back and say, "Okay, can you come and talk to my organisation oh, more about this, or can yeah. we do these projects?" Yeah. 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 So a lot of my work is with with industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And I want to take a quick step back. Yeah, sure. So in terms of like, you know, being offered a position here to like teach at UQ, yeah. like when did you sort of become certain that like maybe you wanted to be a lecturer and, you know, um, how, how does one sort of, I guess, like find their passion, career yeah, path? Look, uh, yeah, I think a lot of careers and others will know this um, is, is kind of you plan, but also accidental things happen that yeah. are quite, quite exciting sometimes. So you know, you do you do your job and you find some part of your job that you really, really like doing. And if all goes to plan, maybe you could do more of that part that you really like to do. But we also do lots of things that we don't like to do. <laughs> and it's all part of doing the job. Um, so look, yeah, I think if you've got to, employers, Again, they've, they've got things that needs to be, you know, they need to be achieved in certain, you know, um, pay, pay needs to be rewarded around particular tasks that must be done. And quite often that's, you know, a range of enjoyable and less enjoyable tasks. And I think you've just got to suck that up and, and do that initially. And, but over time, you, you develop a brand, you develop a reputation for doing something in particular, probably yeah. better than what other people can do. And so I'd be encouraging, we did talk about this last year in, in the course that I had with you, where you need to develop the brand, a brand image. Like yeah. if people mention your name and someone says Karen or Victor, what do they think of? They, mm. If they think of a particular skill set or a particular personality or a particular set of achievements or a certain confidence that you can do that job, then and, and you develop a brand. Now that yeah. can be great because then you are channeled down into that particular work that you like to do. But you've got to manage that. Sometimes that just becomes so specialised that yeah. you say, "Oh, I want to go back and do other things. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to broaden my brand." Well, you can do that. I'm sure you can do that. But uh, yeah, so you, you need to think about what that brand. And I see it here all the time. People yeah. develop a brand around excellence in their teaching or a particular research area they they work in, or their administrative skills, or their work with industry. Yeah. And um, and some people try to do it all, and I think I try to do it all, and other people <laughs> just develop a good skill as a teacher or a researcher, and, you know, and they narrow it down to a particular set of yeah, skills. Yeah, that's cool. And so what kind of is your brand when people say Victor Callan? I think I, I've had debates about this, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm what I call, a, I'm, an, I'm an applied researcher. 
there's a there's a there's an uh, ugly phrase called pracademic, <laughs> which a, pra a pracademic is a practitioner and an academic. So yeah. I, I like to do work that um, is linked to some sort of event or phenomenon or issue that is occurring within the industry. Like yeah. we talked about wicked problems yeah. in, in our yeah. in our course, and so complex, difficult, challenging issues that that require, I guess, academic research, but then that work needs to then be communicated at, at a policy level mm. or in practice. So um, a lot of the work I do, we've just done reports in the last three or four years for you know, Australian Institute of Company Directors, the ALCD, mm. a very large report on gender equity. We did another big government report for WGIA, Workplace Gender Equality Agency, again on women and careers and career paths. And the one we're doing right now is on um, COVID and the impact of COVID on a number of industries. Yeah. And I did another one at end of last year for um, the Department of Industry on um, how companies are skilling their staff. And it wasn't really about COVID, but COVID became part of it. And the ways in which they're using formal and informal training. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you will do, you know, you might do a a graduate certificate in something, or in this case, people might do a vocational education and training program, certificate one, two, three, or four in a particular field. Uh, and there might be, an, we did IT, warehousing, um, um, uh, agriculture, um, and we looked at how they train in those industries. And, they, and really, they're using a mixture of in-house training, yeah. uh, specialists and experts who come in and deliver, but, but don't, that, that training is not accredited, and quite often they also do accredited training. You know, Google and Microsoft are out there training all the time. And they're more likely to be training people in information technology and, and often accounting these days much more than the universities are. So those sort of industries are, I guess, spreading their, the, the number of sources that they use to, to do their training. So, that, so I do these reports quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And how did you become a pracademic? <laughs> like, yeah. I remember um, in your introduction to our class, you talked a lot about like consulting yeah, and all the random right. industries that you did. And yeah. then, <laughs> <Yes. I'm laughs> not random, no, no, there, there was just a lot. It was just like, oh, wow. Flip, flip to the next PowerPoint. So I was like, wow, he's done yeah. a lot. And I was so surprised because that's not kind of my initial no, impression of academia. No. Yeah. So how how was it, and is it because of your industry, like? Yeah, it's case? it's it was it's been great, it's, and it's kept me like I've been at UQ a long time yeah. in, as an academic, and the reason I've been here is that really it's given me, like I nearly I nearly left after about the first ten years mm, when I was in psychology, and I got to associate prof, and I did the yeah. standard thing of first year teaching. I love teaching big classes. Yeah. And then teaching, then publishing in all the right journals. Internet, yeah, and I've written it. half a dozen books and, and did all that the first seven or eight years. And I go, oh. And then what happened was I, um, I was approached uh, to do some work for um, one of the consulting companies on a large review they were doing mm. of one of the big public hospitals. And I had some certain technical skills around survey design and research methodology. Ooh, and, cool stuff. And, and so they got me, and then I ended up doing another thing for Channel 7, looking wow. at. So I was studying and the referral started coming in and then I said, oh, okay, I'm in a school of psychology which doesn't really appreciate people doing this type of applied industry work because it was all about 
doing work using undergraduate students as your subjects and doing experimental designs and manipulating control variables mm. experiments. I don't know if you look at psychological studies, but that's what a lot of it is. Mm. And it, it's all very theor theoretically driven. And I'd done, I'd done all that. Uh, <laughs> Sick and, of it. And um, I said, well, I, I need to move. And I'd, I was offered jobs at some of the consulting companies. Yeah. And I was also saying, oh, a job's just come up in the business school. Very cool. And so I just really went from one building to another. <laughs> and that made the move from one place where um, consultancy was not well regarded yeah. in a school of psychology. But look, the psychology school at UQ is one of the amongst the best in the world. So they do that. what they do, they do really, really well. And then I moved to a business school, which then was called the Graduate School of Management, and mm. um, where it was more accepted to actually do that type of work, to, to do the mm. academic work, but also to do work which then had more of an application, often for government, but also for industry. And so I just kept then doing the consultancy work as well. Mm. So, um, and then, so I've done that through a lot of grants that we've won. Yeah. So there's a number of grant schemes called the Australian Research Council linkage grants mm. where companies put their money in, universities put their in-kind support, which is our time doing mm. the work. And then we've done lots of projects with um, BHP, Rio Tinto, mm. Um, so is it kind of like, City Council. almost like volunteering, kind of pro bono? In a, in a way, it's like the universities are saying, if industry puts in the cash, yeah. we will give you the in-kind support. So the in-kind oh. support is Victor Callum working one, one day a week or his team one day a week yeah. on this project. And this project <laughs> might be with BHP Billiton looking at the relationship yeah. between mining communities and the mines, which is yeah. one of these ARC projects. And look, BHP want to get value out of that. Yeah. And they're putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars for that with Rio Tinto and Newmont Mines also doing the same thing. And then really out of that, they got an understanding of what were the dynamics to help them improve relationships between mining communities or mining towns mm. and, and the mine operators. Because often relationships could can, can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about all the environmental issues and trucking issues yeah. and employment issues. And now <laughs> the it's, wicked problems. Oh, right. <laughs> now with FIFO fly in, fly out, it's, oh, it's yeah. even, it's even well, in a way, the mines have said, "Well, no, we'll just fly our people in. We don't even put them up in the community, in the local communities anymore." Yeah. Which has been another outcome. But yeah, doing doing a lot of applied research um, has really kept me um, excited about the work I do. And then you can talk about that work yeah. as I've done in in our course, yeah. in the classes, because um, I teach a lot of MBA classes yeah. in executive education, and uh, and I've got a particular audience there which is usually people that are fairly, you know, in, in our class with you, yeah. they were people in their last semester. Yeah, 100%. About <laughs> to go out and get jobs. A lot of them were gonna go into consultancy work and therefore I could yeah. make that connection. Yeah. Um, while with the MBAs who are, are on average 36 years of age, they've got mm. 12 years of industry experience, they've got six years of management experience. Mm you can talk about your research and your consultancy and they appreciate those insights. While, mm. um, you know, if I spoke to a first year <laughs> psychology class, they'd probably say, you know, it's yeah. not what we want. Yeah. You know, it's not theoretical enough, but you know, theory's still a big part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Also, yeah. I had a question about like, what is it like climbing the sort of um, academia hierarchy? Because I know that like, you know, in like consulting, it's generally like, 
consultant, two years senior con, and oh, then probably okay. three years into manager, and then associate director, and then case by case basis into partner and whatever. So what, what's it like? In it's it's somewhat similar in, ah, in, in okay. a way. In a way. So yeah, when you well, come in, are you, you just come in as a lecturer. Lecturer. Come in as, as, as usually with a PhD or still finishing a PhD. But these days, these days because the market's so competitive. Yeah. People have got a PhD and and they've got they come in as a lecturer and yeah. they could be of any age. Yeah. We have people coming in the fifties and people coming in their late late twenties is unusual, but they're more in their thirties. They've done other things maybe, and then they they you know there are very clear expectations around teaching and teaching courses, supervising yeah. PhDs, getting a research project up and running or research program. Uh, having um, working with other people, developing research teams, applying for grants, mm. and then with the teaching going well, and research going well, and research teams and PhD students, and publications in national or international journals, and your work being picked up and being cited, you might go from lecturer to senior lecturer. Mm. So then, is that roughly two years or something? Uh, could be. Could be. Um, two years would be quick. It's more Ooh, like oh, yeah, okay. it could be. Could be three to five years. Wow. Okay. And then. Um, Senior lecturer or associate professor could be another five to ten years, oh or gosh. some people never go beyond senior lecturer. Yeah. Senior lecturer is seen as the career the career grade, like yeah. that's the norm. Yeah. A lot of people stop it, you know, they stay senior lecturer for 30 years. Oh, wow. And then the associate prof is a bit of more of a translation without boring people, but it's more you keep doing what you're doing around <laughs> teaching and research and working, but now much more than than maybe 20 years ago. It's all about developing leadership skills. So you actually are leading a program, you're leading some sort of industry project, you're, you're, you're actually doing something where you are responsible for some, some, some sort of industry alliance or some sort of industry alliance or a collaborative relationship or you're doing something quite around leading a team or leading, leading a group within. And you might get to associate prof. And then associate, then senior professors, another some people never get beyond that level, yeah. and some people go. I think it's five percent go on to being full professor, Ooh, and that's wow. because just things work out with research and teaching, and and um, yeah. For, in my case, it, I think it was a combination of um, the teaching, the publications, work with the industry, yeah, um, and that they saw me as a good fit for leadership roles um, in the future. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Now we all want to know how how. How long did it take you to climb from lecturer uh, nine, to senior lecturer? Nine, no, no, nine years to go from lecturer to professor. Oh. Uh, so I had a fairly quick move. I went started at 25. By the time yeah. I was 34, 35, I was full professor, oh. which is unusual. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it, you can look at it positively in that I got professorship quickly and then therefore I could uh, go on and do other things. So yeah. I became a head of school. Yeah. And these are things that you probably... Some people do them and then, you know, it's like they do managerial roles or leadership roles and it takes away from other things and, yeah, and therefore the research. the research career stops. Yeah. So, but I, so I've always kept tried to keep the balance, which means you, you go into a lack of balance where you keep the research program going while you're doing these other things. Uh, so, so Lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. So, uh, yeah, so, so I think it can, but look, I think it was great to get it, to get that level at a young age, because I think yeah. it opened lots of other doors to mm. being head of school and um, yeah. discipline leader and so on, while a lot of other people then end up doing those roles to actually get to that next level, or they never get to that level. 
That's pretty cool. And before I interviewed Len Coot and we we're talking oh, about yeah, like sure. there was this breakdown like between was it like eighty percent teaching and ten percent? Yeah, there's a model. There's a model which yeah. which is like forty percent teaching, forty percent research, and twenty percent what you might call engagement or yeah, helping others. <laughs> yeah, it could be working with industry. It could be um, you know doing projects for government. Um, it could be some sort of leadership role. But that's the model, 40-40-20. Yeah. 40-40-20, yeah. And um, uh, because nearly all of us here at UQ um, are, are teaching and research. So 40% yeah. of our time is research, 40% of our time is teaching. The other 20% is you might lead a program, you might be doing industry consultancy, you might be doing executive education, you might be doing something else for the university. So it, it sounds formulaic and it sounds rather you know strict with clear board, but it's, it's still fairly fluid. And people can change that balance and argue, well, I'm 60% teaching and I'm 20% yeah. research and, and, and so on. But we are still a research-intensive university, and yeah. if you do research and you do it well, then you are rewarded for that. And teaching uh, in the last, I don't know, 15 years, yeah. it's become much, much more important than being oh. a good teacher. Where before it was all about being a good researcher was first. Now it's, there's a much better balance between the two. And the balance is even tipping a bit more now where it's all about teaching research and actually showing you can work with industry. Ah, okay. So people that have always, and I've always had that three, three areas I've been working with, to yeah. me it's been a great advantage because like the university's catching up to where I've always been. Yeah. Which has been good. Yeah. That's amazing. So people see me as someone that can help them with industry collaboration and industry connections. And that's why I've done various roles like the Dean of, Associate Dean of Research and, yeah. and Executive Education. And, uh, and even today I've asked to get involved in some Executive Education programs, which maybe I can or maybe I can't do. <laughs> you know, it's all fine now. Yeah, it's, it's all about time, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And just wondering, what do you think your perfect balance is? So there's the 40-40-20, if you could have it your way, 100%. What would you like to Well, do? I've just come off, you know, I've had six years of 100% of doing um, one of those, and that was really the engagement. Oh, so delicious. When I was the, the dean. dean of research, associate yeah. dean, I was really, that was six years of working with, working with industry, uh, working on the university's research committee, universities, yeah. a postgraduate committee, getting rules and policies in place, and really um, setting up centres, research yeah. centres, and really enabling other people uh, early career researchers and others yeah. setting up grant schemes for, I guess, fostering the talent and, and, and creating that pipeline into into the university. So I spent six years doing that. And so the balance went all that way. But, and yeah. I kept the, no teaching, but the research was there, yeah. you know, 20% of the time. And now it's flipped back to really the 40-40-20. Oh, okay. Which, um, yeah, yeah, so that's been good. Um, you know, so I'm coming back now into, into where, I, where I guess I started back yeah. when I was 25, younger. Yeah. So I've got that, got that research and teaching. Um, so I've, I've come back to these roles because I wanted to get the research program yeah. up and running again. But it's always been there because I've had good PhDs, I've had good junior yeah. people to work with who are passionate about what they're doing and really they lead the programs and I just come in and, and join them. It's been good, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's pretty good. So working in those good research teams is, is, is the way you do it. And a lot, of, a lot of our careers, no matter what industry is, is about working in parts of teams and, or multiple teams and then playing a role in those teams and being yeah. a contributor. And then you know, adding value to those teams is very important, which I, st I still I think I can do. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. 
Next, I want to talk about Maya Briggs, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, I never actually heard of like a Maya Briggs qualification, but Victor, he before, oh, he wow. had it on LinkedIn. So can you tell me like what inspired you to get into it and how does Maya Briggs, in your personal opinion, well, compare with other well, yeah, I don't want to dampen your enthusiasm, but it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tool. Um, so I've got a PhD, two, a PhD in psychology and a BA honours in psychology. So that gives you training in, I guess, personality and personality traits and the yeah. proper way the proper ways to measure personality so if you really want to measure personality properly then you end yeah. up doing these psychometric tests that are reliable <laughs> and that's some of the consultancy companies do these problems yeah yeah career counseling ones and you sit there for hours doing these tests M yeah. mmp mmpi the 16pf and so on um, but that's not always the case you know if you want to really do a quick measure of how what is a personality type or a personality preference that might be useful for teamwork or yeah. I guess some self-understanding and you're not they don't have the time to sit there for several hours and do a measure yeah. uh, then these these are useful so the Myers-Briggs type indicator is uh, is, a, is a valid and fairly reliable measure it's a personality type measure and look some years back which is a long time ago <laughs> now um, I think even to get access to the the measure you had to be accredited and I was running workshops with <laughs> leadership programs and I'd want yeah. to run a personality measure. Yeah. They were the days before you could just go online now and stick in personality. There's all sorts yeah. of measures available that some people have developed. And you, you really, it's either doing the valid, reliable psychological measures, which you had to be a psychologist to get access to, yeah. which I was, oh. or, you, or, you, but I'll, or, you, or you do a Myers-Briggs type indicator. <laughs> And those programs, I think, are still still up and running. Yeah, yeah. so that, that was good. It's a good measure. It's a it's a great little measure. Um, and uh, but is it useful? Is that like did that course give you anything extra than what you could have found in the Yeah, course? much deeper, much deeper. It gets into the uh, the Jungian psychology, Carl oh, Jung, J U N G, wow. Jungian psychology, the philosophy behind the measure. Um, it talks about a lot more around just not type, but also. I think we talked a little bit about this in class, but yeah, that, that life is too short not to be fully developed, to be self-actualized. So yeah. it's all about developing the shadow personality. So yeah. you might be introverted, but you've got a you've got an extroverted part. Yeah. And what what the Myers Briggs highlights and, and Jungian psychology would highlight is that why not try to spend some time developing that less developed side of who you are. Uh. So I'm an introverted, but I want to enjoy and experience what it's like to be an extroverted, yeah. and so, or I'm, um, you know, uh, I'm a thinking and feeling. Your... Yeah, so I'm a thinker, but I'll, but there can be advantages to be developing my feeling side. So, the shadow, as they oh. call it. So things like that were really quite useful that I would not have heard about unless I'd done a course like that. So again, yeah. there are advantages where um, you can just take a measure. Um, or you can actually study and learn about the measure from professionals who use it, yeah. and they can give you that more detailed, fuller understanding of why you might use the measure, and what, when you might not use the measure, and 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 how you can actually kind of like it's like having a car and you add extras to it, and yeah. how you can get value out of that. Um, and the same with the Myers Briggs. If you do a course, and whether it be a team management index or personality measure or it's a lot measured now on emotional intelligence is yeah. another big uh, issue that people talk about. Then by doing a course on it, if it's available, and again, I'd recommend it, it, it does give you that added insight into 
other features of it so that when you finally use it or workshop it, yeah. you can you can you can take it down another pathway that that maybe other people can't can't use it for. Yeah. Like I've got a friend who's a a master practitioner. Yeah. It's a level above that. He's done the mm. MBTI, and he does all this wonderful stuff with the MBTI um, that I could never do, even though I've done the course, because he's done a course like above that. Oh, wow. And we we can do much better than someone below that just does an yeah. online course who just yeah. doesn't know much about it. Yeah, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, one, it's one to play with, you know. I think understanding personality type is, is quite useful, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Around careers, you know, like, you know, is my career, and again, the MBTI, yeah. and we did talk a little bit about this yeah. in class, you know, it, it, there are certain types of people that are attracted to some careers more than yeah. others, but it's not saying that, like, 80% of engineers are INTJs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the effect is no more than probably 10 to 15 percent. So um, there is some evidence that a particular type of personality is its like we call a job person fit. Yeah. The, the job and the person is a better fit yeah. and then in some other areas. And there's, you know, I was looking even today at one called the Holland, H-O-L-L-A-N-D, mm. another one that looks at, you know, yeah. personality type and career, career choice. Yeah. But look, have good. a play with them. They're, they're all useful. Yeah. And like in our course, we did that development plan. Yeah, we did. And so you know, <laughs> I, I, again, if we're talking about careers with your with your friends online, it's have a play with a, a, a developmental template. There are lots yeah. of them online, and and it talks about your strengths and your areas for development. And then you know, as we did, like then what what are the tools I'm going to use to 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 close that gap around yeah. where a gap is important for maybe the sort of job I want to do, or where maybe I want to develop that shadow side. I want to yeah. actually develop more of my creativity or develop more of my my feeling skills yeah. and, and so how, how might I do that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so speaking of that, so you're saying that there are some people that are like more inclined to certain careers and so what about yourself? Do you think like being a lecturer, was that sort of more kind of quotes like sort of almost written in your personality from a young age or not really? I, I, I've always wondered, I always said, as I said, I, I thought I'd teach, yeah. yeah. So, um, and as it is, rather than being a high school teacher, I became a higher education teacher, which, <laughs> which I think has been a, a bit a better choice in many ways, <laughs> given given the fact that I've always had classes of young people and older people that want to be there. Yeah. While my brother, and I talked to other teachers of mm. high school. It's been sometimes it's a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. You've got people it that you hear about in the media quite often. Kids, and it was on the media like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Students swear at you, or, yeah, or, or, throw something. or abuse you, or throw things yeah. at you. I've never ever had that happen. Wow, that's amazing. In, in, a, <laughs> in a class, thank goodness, uh, yeah. and it would never happen at a university. But you know, I think the most they ever happened happened was a paper aeroplane once many many yeah. years ago. <laughs> That was, that was done out of fun more than a big class of 300 and someone decided yeah. to throw in an aeroplane. Oh, and I actually made an example of him. It was very interesting. <laughs> in, a, in a fun sort of way, yeah. Yeah, good times. And yeah. are you more on the lines of like, sort of like working on your weaknesses or honing full on your strengths? Ah, uh, I think I'm full on on the strengths, yeah. Really? Yeah, so when you yeah. build your career, like for people there, they're thinking about what I should do. Yeah, I think, again, I think, uh, Look, no one's perfect, and we, but we all do have some strengths. Yeah. You know? um, and so I think identify those strengths, and, and those strengths can, can, can become your, an advantage for sure. You know, mm -hmm. If you're very planful or you're very conscientious or yeah. you're very um, creative, whatever it might be, 
identify those strengths and obviously play to them because mm. they will become part, part of that brand of who you are. But then I think life is too short, and this is like later as you sort of, yeah. to, to not develop those other sides yeah. of, of who you are. And uh, again, psychology, we talk a lot about that, that to be more fully rounded, would be Aristotle or Plato, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know um, having that reflective side of life and, 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 you know, taking time out to think about, well, why am I here? What am I trying to achieve? Yeah. Particular goals. Um, so you develop your brand, but then, you know, and that gets your jobs and that maybe helps you with your career. But also think about that that less developed side. Yeah. The unexamined life is not worth living, as they yeah, say. Yeah, I love that Aristotle, quote. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so think about that unexamined side of life and, you know, what could that be? And I, again, I can say that as someone who, tr I, I try, yeah. but I don't really do that. Yeah, it's too comfortable. It's too comfortable, you know. Yeah, especially but, when you're like pretty good at like your strengths. You know, yeah, yeah, developed. yeah, yeah. So my challenge is 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 if when I finish my life as an academic, what yeah. what do I then do? And you're yeah. you're at the stage as many of your viewers and listeners are as well. They're starting off their careers, so yeah. yes, develop a brand and and play to your strengths, but uh, and and then try to develop that other side. And I'm at a stage soon where I need to decide well, what else would I do. With my last twenty years of life, and yeah. that's that's quite a scary transition, that is. you know. Yeah. And and uh, you know, um, and many academics, like yeah. many uh, people in law and, and 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 the medical profession, they really never never kind of retire. You know, yeah. we have academics here that have become retire and they become honorary yeah. professor or honorary senior associate professor or adjunct, as we call it. And they're not as much now, but they, they, they still come in and they sit on their type recorders and working on articles. They're not teaching, but yeah. it's still a part of who they are. Or, yeah. and, or, you know, you see it, people they still spend a day or two in the office and then they're spending the other days working for not-for-profit or playing yeah. for golf. You know, yeah. getting, getting that balance right, it's, yeah, it's a bit scary. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And so what do you think for yourself that, like, I don't know, last 20 years or whatever, do you, what do you what do you think the ideal day in the life is? And I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very very physical, as I said. So if I go back to where we started, yeah. as a little boy playing football and, and yeah. climbing, it sounds like large mountains, but they're not yeah. large mountains. <laughs> doing hiking and you know, outdoor life and going to the beach and riding yeah. surfboards until I was 65, still riding surfboards at Noosa yeah. and a lot of other and doing it reasonably well. Yeah. Um, I'd like to retire to that physical, like I'll go to the gym tonight, you know, yeah, and, and, and I'm riding the bike tomorrow for 50 or 60K. Yeah. So I like that physical, but the challenge for me then is finding something besides the physical, you know? Oh, so finding something like that's not physical, because I can't always go for 60 kilometer rides and I yeah. can't always go to the gym four There's nights a week. Hours. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what is a non physical version of me? Is, is an interesting question and I've already said to the to you all that you know I'm not maybe I could develop reading and yes yeah. I could work for a not-for-profit do I want to learn how to play golf no because <laughs> uh, I think you need to start playing that when you're very very young oh, have a great mindset Victor yeah. <laughs> you know lawn bowls I don't know whether you yeah. can do lawn I probably yeah. want to play it with no shoes on the you know yeah. that would be fun yeah that'd be cool but I have no fishing yeah we got to be near down the beach I think Something near the beach, 
but you know that's I've got to work that through. Yeah, and do you think that like research would be like an ongoing thread in your life, or is it very too like too like taxing on the brain? Oh no, it's it's fun. Research is really fun, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, on a couple of projects at the moment where, and as I said before, I think the 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 real um, the real deep thinking on it, um, yeah. and the and a lot of the hard work is being done by the younger groups who work yeah. with me. Yeah. <laughs> and we're doing another big project looking at uh, careers in hospitality and tourism. Yeah. Where we've won a grant from the government. Again, it's this applied theoretical yeah. work, so practitioner work. And we'll be writing a report to the government uh, for what's called now the National Careers Institute, which is the new part of the Department of Industry. Yeah looking at, well, what can we do about actually, and with COVID, it's now become a big, big issue, yeah. about encouraging people for a career in in hospitality mm. and a career in in, in, um, in retail. Mm. So we're doing a study now where we're talking to um, Red Rooster, <laughs> Bunnings. Hilarious. Yeah. I've just talked to a large restaurant chain here in Brisbane, gone and did mm. 11, 12 interview, interviews, mm. Cotton On, yeah, and, and talking to people that are actually the CEOs and the owners, wow. the senior executive, and then talking to people that actually work as cooks or as work on the front desk oh, at, in a retail variety. store. So that work is fun to do. Yeah. And, and so we will do our government report and we'll therefore show that we've delivered what they want and we'll make recommendations. And like last night, I was just working on another report with fine-tuning the recommendations mm. that we'll make to government. And it's up to government whether they actually then enact or follow those through. Yeah. And then we take those reports and we write them up for, for academic papers. Yeah. So, cool. you know... Um, then haven't you pretty much figured out what the non-physical Victor would be doing? I don't know. No, yeah. isn't it? Isn't, I thought well, they were well, so obvious. Maybe it's, it's still sitting in What do you think? It's still sitting in a room writing papers? Yeah, because you seem like you still enjoy it and it's not like one of those things yeah, where yeah. you have forced retirement like tennis, right? When you like oh, actually... you break down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that like you still can do? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah sure. isn't it? Or are you, are you like a bit sick of research at this point? Like, oh no, man, not... need something else? Well... We've just got a paper accepted last Friday. Let's still get excited about it. So and it's excited for me in that, you know, you put a lot of work into, you know, yeah. you first to plan the research, you get yeah. the data. You know what it's like. You get the, you plan the research, you yeah, get the data, tedious. you analyze the data, you write it up, you send it to a journal, which you've never been through this process. Never. But, but you've done assignments. We've all done assignments. Yeah, yeah. the same thing. And you get a mark. Well, in a, way, in a way, you get a mark, you send it off to a journal, they do a peer review, you get three or four comments saying... Yeah. Here's 15 pages of what's right or wrong with what you've just written. Yeah. And so you do a rise and resubmit. And you might go through two or three of those. So yeah. after about three or four years, the idea becomes a publication. Yeah. And that's quite, to actually then get something accepted in a, in a, in a good, a high-ranking journal or publication and then get people to cite it that yeah. actually will ref reference your work. That's, that gives you a buzz. And, uh, and again, we've got a paper accepted on Friday. Well, well, it's kind of, we have to do some other things to it. <laughs> Tentative. But it's, it's a good journal. And, um, yeah. and we think it's a nice article. But the, the rest of the team are delighted. I'm happy. Yeah. But they're even happier than I am. Oh, because they're, they're younger and it's, for, and we, in fact, got another paper accepted too. Where, mm. well, that was, where, where from um, the PhD with, um, Dr. Ree Jordan, it's the first article out of a PhD that's yeah. been accepted. Yeah. And she's, she's delighted and we're yeah. very happy for her and, and we're on that paper as well. So 
it's like um, it's it's like climbing a hill and you finally get there and and then you know you get you get you get the tick of approval and that's nice. It's a nice yeah. achievement. So yeah, I still like doing that. Yeah. But the grind of um, I don't know. Yeah, the the grind of revising and resubmitting is is a bit wearing. I think it's a bit yeah, wearing, yeah. and when especially when you've kind of done all that. Yeah, it know. becomes the same old same yeah, old, but like slightly different. We just had something came out a couple of weeks ago, which was a, a, a national ranking in business and management, and also in psychology. And I've just ranked in the world's top one hundred. Mm. In in the, no, it's not incorrect. The world's top one hundred in psychology. Mm. It's like that, the world, Australia's top 100 in psychology. Yeah. But, but when you look at the number of citations, it would have put me in the top 20 or so in business and management. So that's yeah. nice, you know, yeah. you, you know you're up there. It's like, as you say, you've won Wimbledon once, do you need to win it three times? Yeah. <laughs> well, people do, they want to win it several times, so. Yeah, you know. but it's not, it's like when you win it for the first time, it's zero to one, and then everything after is maybe like one to 1.5, 1 1.5 to two. It's not, mm. you don't get that high. Yeah. So look, in terms of careers, it's like find something rewarding. And again, we talk a lot about people changing careers over time. Yeah. And there's this great resignation debate that they were talking about mm -hmm. now. Well, I was talking to one of our HR professors, human resource management professors, a couple yeah. of days ago, and he's been looking at data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Australians don't change jobs. <laughs> about It's about a 10% turnover oh, really? rate. And with 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 COVID, it's going to go up a little bit, but it's not it's not like they're talking about thirty and forty and fifty percent. Yeah, not significant. Yeah, so you make you do make career changes, but the best thing is to find a a, a profession you want to belong to, and yeah. maybe you're finding that in in consulting, and work your way up and see how it yeah. goes. And as long as they give you opportunities for career development, doing interesting work, working with interesting people, and interesting clients, then then I think it's quite exciting. Um, and if you get paid reasonably well for it, as you do in consultancy, but you've got to put in the hours. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, but, but the other thing too, if you work for a, a company with a brand name, like, yeah. like the, the big four, and I know people that work for IBM just for two years and for the rest of their life they call themselves an IBMer. Quite nice. And they use it as a tag for. Yeah. I work for IBM. I see it here. I see people that come to this university. I work for CSIRO or I work for Apple. Yeah. They might have only been there for two years, and, <laughs> and I don't know what sort of job they did, but um, they now use that as a as a as a as, a, as an edge. Badge. Yeah, as a shiny badge to yeah. say, well, hire me because I've got these skills, and quite often we do hire them, and they. Yeah, we, now, we now know why they left Apple and why they left CSIRO because <laughs> they don't really have the skills at all. <laughs> Some of them, some of them are wonderful, but some yeah, of them really, it's a bit, bit, bit short. Yeah, it's the same with like the UQ tag, you know, sticking it on everywhere. It's, people judge use, you by that. Use it, especially, yeah, especially a lot of the, a lot of the companies like to see that badge. Yeah. And we've had it with executive education. We know we've had, um, I've sat in rooms where companies have said to us, and you look at the people around the boardroom table, UQ, 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 UQ. They're all UQ graduates yeah. and they say, well, why are we running these programs with those other universities? Yeah. We're all UQ graduates. We know how good it is. We know what UQ to offer those programs for mm. us. And, they, and, and quite often it's almost a blind decision. They don't know much about our capability, but because yeah. we come from UQ, yeah. they know it must, be, they know it must be pretty good yeah. because they're UQ graduates and it's done them no harm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, cool. And the final question is, Victor, what do you think the meaning of life is, in your opinion? The meaning of life, searching for happiness. <laughs> I, think, 
I think it's uh, it's all about, yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, as you get older, you see people, um, you know, retire and, and, and go off and do other things and then, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, you are forgotten very quickly. So I guess the other thing is, again, the people that don't forget who you are are family and friends and yeah. making those contributions is really quite critical. And somehow getting that balance between yeah. being a contributor to your family and your friends and community and being a contributor to work. But work work forgets about you fairly quickly. Yeah, you know? I agree. And, and, um, and you see it with people changing jobs. Oh, they're no longer yeah. here and they sort of move on very quickly. And, and it is quite amazing. You can have people be it... Be it, be it in employment for a long time in certain organisations and they're gone and they're forgotten really quickly. But you're not forgotten by your families. Yeah. So keep that balance. Yeah, that's okay. some good advice. Yeah, okay. Thank, thank you. Well done. Thank you. Bye-bye, bye everyone. Bye.